You are Locked On Pelicans, your daily podcast on the New Orleans Pelicans, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another edition of Locked On Pelicans, the daily podcast covering your favorite team, the New Orleans Pelicans and NBA as a whole, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, available on Apple Podcasts, on iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts from, Stitcher, Alexa, Google Play, all of those, it is everywhere. So whatever is most convenient for you, you can find Locked On Pelicans. I'm your host, Pelicans Insider Credential, member of the media, editor over at LockedOnPelicans.com, Jake Madison at Nola Jake on Twitter. Here with you all on the final day of podcast for the week, but also a game day here in the Crescent City as the New Orleans Pelicans take on the Golden State Warriors for Game 3. And we are going to preview that in just a minute with David Grubb of CrescentCitySports.com to help me break it down because he's got some key adjustments the team needs to make if they want to try and win this game game and it was a fun conversation we touched on a couple of things we've seen from this series dove into some other topics there was a bit of breaking news here in the NBA that we'll touch on as well while we were recording and so that was a fun time so it's going to be a bit of a different podcast today I'm going to do a reset right now for you guys and we'll probably do a reset right out of the conversation with him then quickly wrap everything up and get you guys set for game three So before we jump into the conversation with David, make sure you listen to Locked On NBA Daily, Monday through Friday, the only podcast coming in right around 30 minutes or so that recaps that night's action, previews the upcoming night, and talks about the biggest stories in the NBA. Easy way just to get all the NBA news you need in one place. So make sure you listen and subscribe to Locked On NBA. Joining me now on Locked On Pelicans, I've got David Grubb, Pelicans beat reporter for CrescentCitySports.com. David, thanks for taking the time with me. Oh, it was a pleasure to talk to you, Jake. No, I'm excited, and it sounds like you've got some strong thoughts here on adjustments the Pelicans need to make for Game 3 because they came pretty close to winning Game 2, and they should be able to put themselves in good position here to at least get one of these at home and extend this series, right? Yeah, and I, and I think the, the tweaks are, are, are definitive but not um, particularly difficult. Uh, the first one, you know, I think is they, they just have to adjust their shot selection. They took 13 three-pointers in the first quarter. And that, to me, was really bothersome because that's not who they are, and especially the people who were taking them. Solomon Hill taking four, and Drew uh, Holiday taking uh, four as well. So, you know, and Drew ended up, what, two for nine on the night from three-point. He's, he's a guy who usually stays around three or four attempts. So that was bothersome. I felt like the Pelicans should have had a lead in the first half, and shot selection was a big part of that. Um the other thing is, is uh, defensively, they have to stay at home. They have to exercise discipline. Coach Gentry talked about that himself, uh, saying that they have to, uh, you know, focus on staying with their man. They can't give guys like Thompson and Curry the space to get off quick shots. Of course, that's easier said than done. But, you know, Clay Thompson, four for 20 last game, I don't know if he does that twice. But the Pelicans have to sure make, him, make it see, uh, make it possible for him to do that by playing just really disciplined defense and the third part is you've got to get Anthony Davis back near the basket get him some touches around the rim and he just hasn't had enough of those no it's it's inside out basketball and I think that's where this team really thrives part of the issue I think has been particularly game one and they were better about it in game two that when they're forced to play in the half court there's not a lot of off ball movement I don't know if that's guys like Solomon Hill not being used to that but when AD gets the ball down low he gets doubled and he didn't have an assist in game one because no one moved in game two it got a little bit better but you know Rajon Rondo was one of the keys that these other guys have to step up with it too Exactly. I mean, I think that you have to see some, you know, some screens from the opposite side. 
where guys come in and, and get, try to get AD moving off of the man who's guarding him. And if there is a double team, like you said, there has to be that off-ball action. With Solomon Hill, you know, the difficulty we've seen, when he's, he's two for ten shooting the basketball um, in this series, he's got to sit in the corner. Um, I, just, I just feel like that's where he needs to be offensively and be ready for that shot as the ball swings around. I mean, you move to, to keep the, the defense off balance, but his main thing should be shooting from that corner. And as soon as the ball goes up, he's got to be the one of the first guys changing end to end. Rondo's a solid rebounder as a guard. We know Holiday can rebound. And, of course, Anthony Davis. And the Pelicans have to rebound as a group to get their fast break going. Yeah, and also they need, I think they need to do a little bit more of it on the offensive end. I know they want to get back and get set and try and take away this Golden State team in transition. But, you know, one of the ways to beat them, particularly when you're down 10 or 15 points, is you've got to go after offensive boards because you're not going to beat this team in a shootout. No. I mean, everything that the Pelicans do, the Warriors are just a little better at it. I mean, in some cases, a lot better. But, you know, generally this is like, you know, you're trying to play against the master. And, you know, you, you, this is a team that's its first year together. Um, it's the first time they've really been running Gentry's system. And, you know, they don't have the shooters and they don't have the length. And those things are hard to co- compensate for. So you can't turn the ball over. And they did a really good job of that for the most part, except for, you know, Rondo's sticks, which were unlike him. And you can't uh, have those shots that turn into turnovers. Like I said, if you don't put yourself in position to get offensive rebounds and you do that with bad misses, then, you know, again, you're playing into the, the hands of the Warriors. Yeah, and it's one thing to play into their hands by playing fast, and I think we saw that work. You've almost just got to outscore this team, not hope to slow them down and hope that they miss. And they haven't shot particularly well in the postseason, the Warriors at least. What do you think of the defensive strategy, though, of letting Draymond Green shoot and then trying to sag AD off there and at least keep him closer to the basket? You know, I think that's difficult because Green is such a good passer and a ball handler, and he can dribble towards AD make the defense come back towards him, and he can find open people. We know he can hit the three. He's been inconsistent this year, but, you know, last game he was pretty good from, from distance. So I think it's hard to sag off of Draymond Green. I mean, really the Pelicans have to be disciplined and stay in a, in a man-to-man where you're not giving guys space because I don't know who on the Warriors, even amongst their first set of subs, you're not going to leave any of them open to get good looks because they can knock them down. Yeah, it's different than playing Portland where it's cool if Aminu or Evan Turner is the one doing it. But here, you know, the third and fourth guys are, you know, borderline all-NBA players, and it's a big problem. And keeping on the Draymond Green theme, he's been everywhere and has been a terror for the Pelicans and is kind of almost the X factor in this series, if you want to use that word for it. How do they try and neutralize him on the defensive end? Because he's taken Anthony Davis out of possessions at times. Right, and, and he's been using his body, um, you know, and leveraging his, his position really well because obviously he can't match AD, AD's reach or his quickness. So he's using physicality. And I, I think, you know, outside of the, the tanglement that they got into with their legs, that really should have been a technical on Draymond. But that that's was another not story. A, yeah, that was a garbage double call. Like I hate double f- fouls in the first place, but that was a clear technical to me on, on Draymond. Yeah. Um, but outside of that, it, like you said, he's been very physical. He's forced AD to post a, a lot farther out than he wants to. Um, one thing the Pelicans have to do is repost AD. Throw it in, let him kick it back out, and try to reestablish position. Um, the second part is, I think, with Draymond, you've got to get him into switches. Run those pick and rolls, get him isolated on Drew Holiday, who's going to go downhill and try to finish through him. Force the officials to make calls. 
I think that will help uh, minimize the free throw discrepancy. The huge free throw discrepancies you saw in game one and game two is if you started going at and forcing the officials, they have no other choice but to either call it a charge or a block. The Pelicans have to get themselves in that position really early and establish that they're not going to stay away from the rim. Well, and that's what Anthony Davis said after practice uh, before this game, where he said, he goes, you know, I'm not getting calls. The officials must not think I'm getting fouled, so I need to show them that I'm getting fouled. And that kind of mindset and that quote makes me excited and encouraged for game three and the aggressiveness that this team's going to come out with and not shine away from this contact and really kind of almost taking the fight to the Warriors. That's been the, the best thing for me about the team's attitude throughout the season, and especially once the playoffs began, is that, they don't act like they're shocked to be here. They believe they deserve to be on the court with the Warriors, and they feel that they can beat the Warriors. Now, again, neither you nor I would, would, are going to say that the Pelicans are going to win four of the next five games against Golden State. Um, but at the same time, I think that's a huge step in the right direction for this franchise when legitimately fans will be disappointed if this series doesn't go six or seven games. Yeah, and no, this is an easy team to root for. And you and I have talked about this a lot pregame where the the 2015 team, you know, wasn't exactly the most fun to watch. You didn't like some of the players here, Eric Gordon, Tyreek Evans, different things like that. This team and their attitude and their mentality, it's something that even if they were losing, you could cheer and root for this team because they almost play the right way. Right. I, I couldn't get upset, you know, with the end of game two. I mean, you're, you're right there. You have a chance to win. And you can, t- again, we can talk about free throw discrepancies. And we can talk about the plays that they missed. But for the, jet, for, you know, the vast majority of that game, they were there. And that's what you want to see. You want to see the team not flinch, not back down. Um, they ha- they, they're not playing outside of character. You don't see, you know, I, I, I wasn't surprised with Rajon Rondo. Um, you know, getting in Draymond Green's face. We know he's an that agitator was good, though, as well. Right? Don't you want to see that yeah. from the team? Like fight when, you know, he, Draymond Green's a dirty player. You know, I, I think I'm pretty neutral when it comes to these sort of things, but he's very clearly a dirty player. I don't think there's any other way you can say it and does a lot of things. And having, you know, one of your leaders of this team step up and get in his face, I think is a very good thing. Right. But they're not losing composure. And I think Coach Gentry talked about that was just, this is the heat of basketball. This is how the guys are going to compete. And it's not personal. This is competition. And that's what I like about the Pelicans as well. They're not going to resort to things. They're not going to play out of character and try to be overly physical because they can't win that either. They don't have the depth to get into, into a battle of attrition with the Warriors. They have to continue to play their style of basketball, but play it a little bit more intelligently um, and eliminate some of the mental mistakes. And I think they can make all the rest of the games, however many there are on this series, very competitive. There shouldn't be another 22-point um, deficit for them going forward. I think they've had their shock and all moment, and they should be better the rest of the way. But they have to win game three. Yeah, I mean, the the numbers speak for themselves on teams down 3-0, and that at that point it's almost not even worth playing game four because you're likely not coming back from this series. So in game one, do you think it was partially that it was the layoff or what maybe caused them to come out so flat in that one compared to game two? It seemed as if they weren't prepared for the original lineup that the, the Warriors sent out. And offensively, I was really surprised they didn't go at Nick, Nick Young more when he was on the floor. Uh, he's not the defender that the rest of that group is. You, you could make the case that every other one of those starters is, you know, has at one time or another been a legitimate 
first or second team all NBA defensive candidate. Uh, Nick Young is not that. And they only took three shots at him uh, throughout that game. Uh, that was surprising. Uh, I, I also felt like they tried early on to, to play exactly as they did against uh, Portland instead of trying to make a little bit of an adjustment and understanding that the length was different, that the, the activity was going to be different, and that the depth was different. And when you bring your AD in for 40-something minutes and you have Drew playing upper 30s or low 40 minutes and you can't get anything out of your bench, I thought that was just a bad match for game one. They should have gotten something more out of guys like Ian Clark. Um, you know, it just it, – it was a really disappointing effort though it didn't seem like they weren't trying yeah no it's just like you said unprepared they didn't seem ready for some of the lineups that Golden State was going to throw out there not even just Nick Young and I mean obviously that's the guy you need to go after and target him Quinn Cook when those guys are on the court and they weren't taking advantage of when they did have mismatches or things that worked in their favor but the length of the Warriors and a guy like Sean Livingston being 6'7 you know Durant being basically 7 foot and the wingspan he has seems to really bother this Pelicans team who's been doing a good job defending while undersized but all of a sudden the length almost seems like it's such a big disparity here that it's something that's really hard for them to overcome because it's length plus quickness these are all guys who can help and recover with golden state so they're not just long guys who block the passing lanes they're guys who can jump into them and get back to their man um in enough time to stop your rotation of the basketball and so that is an adjustment compared to portland who didn't have a lot of quickness on the perimeter and was also undersized as far as its backcourt. But the Warriors don't have that problem. They can go large in the backcourt and they can be, it's a lot, it's a little bit harder to hide for John Rondo in isolation situations when the third best guy on the court, you know, if he's guarding Nick Young, that's, that's not really a loss for the Warriors either. So it's, it's, it's very difficult for the Pelicans to find favorable defensive matchups. And what they have to do with that again, is just, in my opinion, is stay home. They just have to, you know, communicate better, talk to each other, and, and like, you just can't let Steph Curry run free. Um, you, you can't let Klay Thompson, get, you know, get those catches and shoot uh, shots immediately up. They did a good job of making him move his feet in game, th- in game two. I'd like to see that carry over to game three as well. Yeah, I mean, I think the defense significantly improved. You saw it was the Warriors had 26 points off cuts, I think, in game one, and then the Pelicans managed to minimize that damage. There were none of those like completely blown defensive assignments or as many as we saw in game one, and I think that's going to be one of the big keys here. They also just need, you know, like you said, standout defense from a guy like Miritich on Durant, at least keeping Durant in front of him and shooting long jumpers instead of just driving to the rim and scoring at ease because if you do that and all of a sudden Golden State's matching you for points in the paint, you're going to have a lot of trouble. Right, and, and the Miritich problem, and it's weird that we're, it's so long that we've gotten into this, and that's kind of how he's been forgotten so far in the first two games. His shot attempts are way down in this, in this series, you know, down six per game. And he's a guy you have to get going, and especially early. He's responded so well when he gets that early lay in, layup, um, cutting to the basket. Pelicans have to find ways to get him in rhythm uh, because he's so important to this team. They need – 17 to 20 points per night from him because the, all of these games are going to be played in the 114 to 125 range. Oh, they're going to be shootouts, so right? Need, we know it's going to be high scoring yeah. because of the pace. What, the pace was like 112 or something in game two? I mean, that's nuts. And, and the Warriors play faster when Steph Curry is back, and their pace outpaces the Pelicans over the course of the season with Curry in the lineup. So, yeah, this is it's not going to slow down. So 
No, I don't think Rajon Rondo is going to score 20 points again in this series. That's not a likely likely thing. And if it is, I think that's a problem. Those points have to be scored by Meritage. They have to be scored by Etuan Moore. And they have to find a way to get something out of the bench. Somebody has to 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 score, whether it's Czech Diallo coming in and just providing some energy and getting a couple of offensive putbacks, like you discussed earlier. Um, Solomon Hill has to hit a shot. Just something part, from him, right? Or you've really, got to not play yeah, him. Yeah, just it, – it's so bad that, to, that they have to ride really with seven guys right now. And you can't do that against a team that can go ten deep. No, and it's going to run as much because you're going to run out of steam late in the fourth quarter. And we've seen Gentry all year do a good job, or at least in the second half of the year since the Cousins injury, of conserving timeouts to kind of rest his guys. You've seen him call two timeouts in a row uh, in certain uh, games to just rest these guys for more. But he's had to burn timeouts early on, which is going to, because of the runs that the Warriors go on, that it's going to make things even tougher for them late in the fourth when they might be gassed at that point. Right, and then you add to that that size advantage of having those bigger guys lean on you um, on the offensive end and having to force through their screens and all of that, that's going to sap your energy too. So the Pelicans really have to find some way to, to get their guys, uh, you know, either stymie those runs so you're not caught in, in those positions of, of quick 9-0, 12-0 bursts, or you're going to have to find some production and get Anthony Davis and get Drew Holiday rest, but they can never be off the court at the same time. Oh, that's like the most terrifying time ever. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you just get nervous. You start sweating when all of a sudden you don't see either of them on there, and it's like, this isn't going to go well. No. No. Because you have no ball handlers, and you have, you know, the defense is is pretty much terrible. So, yeah, it's, it's just something that cannot happen. It cannot happen again. No, I know, it, and hopefully they can figure it out, and you know, maybe there won't be as much foul trouble as we've seen, and maybe they get some home cooking from the refs, and I think you and I agree, like, the refing hasn't been that bad, in my opinion, or is this one where you want some time just to scream about them and rant? No, I, I think it hasn't been that bad. I think the, the issues that the Pelicans have faced are the same issues they've had all year um, on certain games and getting to the free throw line is one that they tend to beer. Like, I watch a lot of their drives to the basket, excuse me, specifically AD and Drew, and they tend to veer as they take the contact. So I can see how it will look to referees. You know, having done it at certain levels, you can see how things will play a trick with your eyes. These are incredibly fast athletes moving very quickly. Um, And you can miss that. And the other part is you have a guy like Rondo who does not like to shoot free throws. He knows he's a poor free throw shooter, so he tends to extend his arms really far to avoid contact and try to flip layups up. And when he makes it, it's great. But when he doesn't, he's avoiding the foul. And sometimes I'd rather take uh, one out of two free throws and take the foul and, and not worry about the misses early. If you can get them to the line, if you can get Draymond Green in foul trouble specifically because he is the hub of that defense, that will go a long way to helping the Pelicans. Yeah, I think those are some excellent keys to Game 3 and what they're going to do. I'm going to switch gears for a minute because I see this just breaking now on Twitter as we're recording this. It's like 5 o'clock on Thursday. And I know you're a big Knicks guy. David Fisdale heading over there. What do you think? I like Fisdale. Um, I think the the great thing about him is that he's worked with um, in in very (laughs) tough environments with strong leadership. And I think he's a no-nonsense guy. Uh, the biggest thing with the Knicks job is always going to be how, long, how well do you get along with James Dolan? 
And right now it's how well do you get along with Kristaps Porzingis? Because if they don't appease him, he's leaving at the first opportunity he gets, and that sets the franchise back another decade. I mean, are you worried then about what happened with Marcus Gasol and him kind of getting into it, and then all of a sudden he's going into this situation, and Porzingis doesn't, like you said, doesn't have exactly the best relationship here with the Knicks right now? But it seems like Gasol didn't get any happier after Fisdale left. No, that's, it, it just, that's uh, true. Gasol <laughs> did not, you know, I don't think endear himself to anyone this season, and I don't know why that is. He's, you know, he's known as a professional and classy guy, and I don't know what happened there. And I don't want to speculate, but there's so many guys who speak highly of Coach Fisdale and, and um, you know, not just as a teacher of the game, but also just as a leader of, of, of players. So, you know, I, I'm not I wouldn't be surprised if he does well, but I also wouldn't be surprised if it's a colossal failure because these are the Knicks. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's like either boom or bust with them, probably, and it's been a whole lot more bust than boom, I guess, for a little while. But I mean, he's a good established coach. Also, I think the media is going to end up loving him up there. I mean, that dude, like you said, keeps it very real. It seems like and doesn't pull any punches. And I mean, that's going to be kind of fun in New York City. Yeah, and he's just got to remember. And I don't think it'll be a problem because I mean, he's been part of some of the most scrutinized teams in NBA history in Miami, um, and he's you know worked with. Uh, Mike Woodson in, in, in the New York Crucible before. So, I mean, I think, yeah, I think it'd be okay. I don't, I don't think it's a big issue for, for Fisdale. And I think he will, you know, he'll get strong assistance as he did before. Um, and he's got some great mentors and he served on the bench of one of the smartest coaches in the league. So I, I think he'll be fine on, on that part of it. It's just, man, can you figure out what to do with this uniquely talented seven foot three inch guy? And, and you also have a really talented young point guard. Um, but you know, the Knicks are not anywhere near contention. And that's, do they have the patience to allow Fisdale to coach? That's a good question and one that will only get answered with time. So, David, thank you for taking the time with me to talk about Game 3, jumping on the Knicks there, too. Everyone, give him a follow. <laughs> it's DM Grub with two Bs. And I'm going to see you to the game tonight, and it's going to be a lot of fun. I hope the Pelicans can get a win here. Yes, sir. I'll see you then. All right. Thanks again, David. All right. Talk to you later. So again, big thanks to my guest, David Grubb, for coming on, previewing the game here for you guys, getting you set for game three. We'll talk about a couple things just coming up. But again, don't forget, check out LockedOnPelicans.com daily for all your Pelicans needs. Kill some time at work. Get caught up on what's going on with the team in written form all over at LockedOnPelicans.com. So worth noting for this game, Steph Curry not coming off the bench will be at full capacity strength, no minutes restriction in the starting lineup, making that starting unit for the Golden State Warriors even scary and puts more of an onus on that Pelicans fearsome starting lineup to go out and score and do what they need to do. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Pre-game stuff for you guys to note, I believe WDSU is going to be doing their live newscast from there. I'll be popping on them with them live a couple of times. So if you're watching at home and need some pre-game stuff, tune into Channel 6 locally here in New Orleans. That's WDSU, the NBC affiliate. And I'm sure you'll be able to hear me throughout the radio on the day tomorrow as well. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Also, if you see me out there, I've got Locked on Pelican stickers. So let me know and I'll give you guys one. I'll bring them with me. I cannot wait. It's going to be a lot of fun. And hopefully the Pelicans can win game three. Get back into the series. All it takes is some quick and easy adjustments. So it's going to be a lot of fun. So thank you all for listening. As always, I'm your host, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter. And I'll be back with you all on Monday to recap maybe the series or a preview game five and what's going to be happening next. 